uh, I was very interested in, in what the Alzheimer's Association was doing. Um, and, I, and I always knew um, just from having been personally affected, someone in my family tree um, from, from dementia, from Alzheimer's to be specific, I always knew how devastating the disease was. Hey everybody, Ken from Home Instead here. Thanks so much for joining us again today. Today my guest is Tommy Hernandez of the Alzheimer's Association New Mexico chapter. Tommy is the public policy director for the association. The association's overall vision is ultimately to see a world without Alzheimer's disease or really any type of dementia illness. The organization has initiatives aimed to raise awareness about Alzheimer's disease and other types of dementia, to support research for treatment options, prevention, and hopefully cures one day for dementia-related illnesses. They provide education and support for family caregivers. In addition to this, Tommy and others in similar roles play an active role in advocating at a policy level for those who have been affected by dementia-related illnesses. So I'm really happy to have Tommy on to, to chat with me today. Thanks for joining me, Tommy. Th th thank you so much, Ken. It's great to be here on this, uh, uh, you know, on this Friday morning. And I just want to say thank you so much for that very exceptional description of all of the things that we do. And, and particularly, I think you captured very well uh, the scope of, of my work and, and my role in the organization as a whole. So uh, I'm humbled to be here. It's, 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 it's great to see you again, Ken. Awesome. Well, I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, for, for people who are maybe less familiar, you know, maybe with you yourself, I'd like to hear about your, you personally and how you found yourself working with the association, a bit about the, maybe the, the general aspects of, of what you all do uh, that I didn't cover in the intro, but um, but just what, what's your journey been? How did, how did you find yourself in this role and working for the cause? You know, that, that's a question that I don't get too often. So I'm going to do my very best to answer it. But I, I think it's pretty interesting. Obviously, it's my story. So, of course, I'm going to think it's interesting. <laughs> um, but I'm going to go ahead and give the Cliff Notes version of it. So uh, I, I'm going to go and start with way back in college. And I think it's important to start there just as a very brief kind of uh, precursor. So I remember very distinctly, I was at the University of New Mexico, and I wanted to do something in, in uh, veterinary sciences. So really, I wanted to be a vet, right? Um, and so I remember being with my academic advisor somewhere in my freshman year at UNM, and, and she tells me, she says, well, Tom, you have to take a social science to fulfill a prerequisite. And I say, well, I only know physical sciences uh, and biological sciences. What's a social science? She says, oh, well, you know, there's an easy A in political science. Why don't I sign you up? I said, well, hey, that sounds fun. Let's do it. Easy A, right? I'm thinking, hey, I'll just get this <laughs> checkbox. Everything will be, go, will be good. I go on my way, right? Well, I took that one class, Ken, and it completely changed my professional interest from there on out, right? Wow. And, and that says a lot because being a vet was something I wanted to be since I was the earliest of memories, right? So this completely changed my whole life, although I didn't know it was going to at the time. Uh, after, after that class, I ended up changing my major. Um, I ended up uh, getting a degree in political science and mass communications. Uh, and that kind of helped me put, put me on the path where I am now. So prior to coming to the Alzheimer's Association, I was working for the Greater Albuquerque Chamber of Commerce. 
So I was doing very similar work to what I do now, but obviously a very different scope of, of advocacy, right? We were advocating for uh, business interests and, and trying to do economic growth uh, within the greater Albuquerque area. So I was very humbled when I received a uh, phone call from the Alzheimer's Association in, uh, it was about May or June of 2018, I remember. And uh, the, the, uh, the, the phone call went very well. Uh, I was very interested in, in what the Alzheimer's Association was doing. Um, and, I, and I always knew um, just from having been personally affected, someone in my family tree um, from, from dementia, from Alzheimer's to be specific, I always knew how devastating the disease was. But it was one of those things where, you know, it, it's, it's, it seems so common as we age, or at least that was my thinking at the time, right? Was that, hey, you know, this is just something that happens as we age. Little did I know, and, and obviously I was very ignorant in, in that time, that that's not part of natural aging, that it's actually a brain disease. It's, it's not a super just, common misconception yeah. though, right? Absolutely. It's got a, that. You're right, Ken. So that kind of brought me to where I am. So I, I got the uh, phone call and I immediately expressed my interest. And although it was a difficult decision to make leaving the uh, Chamber of Commerce, um, absolutely no regrets. I'm so thankful to be a part of this organization and to cross paths with some of the great people I do, like yourself and the good folks over at uh, Home Instead. So it's been a wild ride and I'm very happy where I landed. Yes. That's awesome. I love hearing stories like that because I, I think that it's, it, you know, it, every story, you know, of each of our individual lives is unique in its form because it's our lives, you know, but, yeah. but it's not unique in the sense that, you know, pretty much, you know, where we are here and now today, um, it, 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 we came to this point because of so many very small, seemingly insignificant, yes. you know, cause and effect situations, you know, yes. and if you would have never had that conversation with that particular advisor, yes, we wouldn't even be sitting here today chatting about this. I mean, that's amazing. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. I'd, I'd be, I'd be maybe doing some, uh, you know, the, the, taking care of somebody's, uh, somebody's horse or, or, or something <laughs> today. So I, I'm, I'm so glad. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad you actually brought that up, Ken, because I think that's a question that often gets overlooked because people ask, well, what the heck does a public policy director do? What kind of, what, what does a lobbyist do? What, what is public policy even to begin with, right? And so that just begs more questions. And then like, you know, well, what kind of degree do you have? What's your education? What's your professional journey? So I appreciate you bringing that up, sir. I very much do. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, my, my title with Home Instead is Community Service Representative. And so I think that's probably even more ambiguous. <laughs> People never know what it is that I do until I explain yeah. to them. But I, I, I feel pretty lucky, like, you know, as, as you do, I know. Um, yeah. But I, I think, you know, wherever you would have ended up, I think that the type of person that you seem to be, you would be uh, influencing positive change, you know? Um, so with that idea, you know, when we set this conversation up through uh, our, our mutual friend and, and your colleague with the association with Beth, uh, she's the Beth Hamilton is the regional director for the, uh, the northern New Mexico chapter of the Alzheimer's Association. Uh, you were talking about you were just really jazzed about some things that had come uh, come up and you had been working on during the recent legislative session. You mentioned House Bill 250 that's gone through and you, I think you said that the governor has since signed it. Yes, that's correct. That, yeah, that's just, the uh, long, days ago. long-term care dementia training requirements. Um, yes. 
can you speak to that? What what that bill is, why it's important, and why you, you all at the association are so excited about it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I definitely could not say anymore how how excited that we are for the positive outcomes that this legislation now that it's been enacted is going to bring. So I want to go ahead and begin answering that question with describing what are some of the four, we have a total of four, national level policy priorities that uh, the folks in my job in other states that we are all actively working to implement. The heaviest lift, as we like to call it among ourselves um, internally, is, is uh, creating a dementia competent workforce. Uh, we know that dementia is extremely prevalent uh, in long-term care settings. Uh, one statistic I used during the legislative session uh, while we were uh, uh, you know, presenting this bill to legislators was that approximately 75% uh, can approximately 75% of all people uh, who are at the age of 80 or older in nursing homes have dementia. So when you have a statistic like that, it really demonstrates how prevalent this disease is in these long-term care settings. Yeah. So yeah. with that being said, we know that if the, if the prevalence is really high, we need to ensure that the staff who are giving direct care services, right? The staff who are giving direct care, that they have adequate level of training that helps them understand what the common uh, behaviors of Alzheimer's and dementia are, uh, best practices and in, in communication techniques, and uh, among other things, right? We're talking about core competencies that would be uh, packaged together in a training. And that training is going to be implemented uh, effective rather January 1st of 2022. So uh, this will be uh, a training that is a training standard, uh, meaning it's a requirement for all long-term care facilities across the state of New Mexico. Uh, and, and again, it was, it was really founded in collaboration with the New Mexico Healthcare Association who represents many, uh, uh, many long-term care communities and settings across the state. Uh, the Aging and Long-Term Services was also involved and provided their feedback and their input and their guidance. The Department of Health so where I'm going with this is that uh, House Bill 250, um, as you described, the, the training, Dementia Training Requirements Act, uh, this was a, a really a brainchild of many organizations um, at, the, you know, at the level of, of ours, um, as well as state departments and agencies getting involved to come up with something that is not only feasible, um, but it's also going to deliver those positive in, uh, outcomes that, that we're trying to attain. So yeah. uh, that was yeah. the purpose of the bill. And uh, we couldn't be any happier with the outcome. Um, one thing I want to note here, um, just kind of give a, a little bit of kudos to all the people I've worked with, was that under 20% of all the bills, Ken, that were introduced in this past session, uh, under 20% actually passed the legislature. So uh, to put that in perspective, I think there were about, uh, about 800 bills introduced and only about 150 passed. House Bill 250 was among those. So it just really speaks to the gravity of, of the, the need for this type of legislation, though, I believe. Absolutely. I think that, you know, um, it's so needed because, you know, as you were describing, you know, the aim and, and the training that's going to be developed, that, that'll be delivered to, uh, to folks who work in those settings with people who are living with dementia. Uh, I'm just thinking about, like, you know, like, I, I know so many people that work in long-term care communities and long-term care settings and you know they have big hearts you know but you know the the reality is that 
it's not intuitive. Like it, it's yeah. not, it's not complicated when it comes to the ways that we, you know, would need to modify our approach to best yes. accommodate a person who's living with dementia. It's not complicated, but it's not intuitively obvious. Like, you know, what we, what we tend to, to bring naturally to the table is, you know, we, we want to, um, you know, we want to bring someone into reality as we see it, you yes. know, but we don't, you know, we, we kind of tend to leave behind the fact that it's not possible for someone mm -hmm. who's living with dementia, dementia to, to, you know, adjust to the, our natural reality. We need to be able to go to theirs yes. as much as we can in a way that, that is not going to be harmful for them but to support them, to minimize anxieties, you know, to really have a, a you know, the most, the most possible ease when it uh -huh. comes to um, having them uh, have the maximum level of independence that they can have at whatever stage in the process that, that, that they're in. And so, yeah, like I was just thinking about the, the fact that it's, it's important. It's not going to be hugely complicated, but it's so needed because it's not intuitively obvious for us. You know, uh, it, it, that reminds me, the way you describe it reminds me of a committee hearing we, we were in during the legislative session. And, and the, the sponsor, the bill sponsor, who actually represents a large area of Santa Fe, her name is Linda Serrato. She's a state representative. She's actually a, a freshman uh, legislator. Um, Although she is a freshman, she is extremely effective. She was actually the one who carried this bill for us. Um, but there was one particular point in the session when this bill was going through all of its motions was that the way we describe it was that it's, it's compassion, which like you said, a, a lot of the folks who work in, in long-term care, particularly those people who are in the direct care, right? They're actually having physical interactions, um, emotional uh, you know, interactions with these residents. So the compassion has always been there, but what has been lacking is the competency, right? So when you bring the competency for for the for the the um, uh, you know the, the the dementia, the level of dementia that these residents are facing, when when you bring the competency for what they are facing with the compassion, then we know it's really going to improve the lives not only for the residents, that's obvious, but it's also going to improve. We hope, and and our evidence shows this. Is that it's really going to improve the morale of, of, of the staff because they get to really see that they are through this training, through this new knowledge, that they are able to, you know, bring a smile, perhaps, right? Bring notice somebody's progress. Maybe if it's not immediate over a day or a week, or maybe it takes months. But the point is that when this, when these, when these staff, these direct care staff, when they have the knowledge on how to connect with somebody, how to recognize. Maybe, uh, you know, John Doe in the room over is just having one of those down and out weeks, right? Maybe, maybe his dementia is, is, is affecting him a little differently that week. When that staff has that new knowledge that's going to come via the training, uh, we know that it's going to improve the, uh, the morale for the staff and it's going to improve the quality of care for the resident. To us, this was a win-win, absolutely. And I think the legislature realized that and that's why this bill passed unanimously through and through. That's, that's a really great point. Thanks, Tommy. So 
you know, steering in a slightly different direction, we may have already touched on some of the things that you'll point out here, but given your expertise and your intimate understanding of how Alzheimer's disease and dementia illnesses affect New Mexicans in particular, what would you say are the factors that are impacting folks the most and how can we as community members and adjacent organizations what can we do to help minimize the impact of Alzheimer's and other dementias in New Mexico? That's a great question, uh, Ken. And, and the reason why I appreciate that question is because uh, New Mexico, as we know, has is a minority majority state. Uh, we also have a very large population of Native Americans. Um, and the reason why I'm bringing these, these, uh, these, these demographic up is because our data suggests that Hispanics are one and a half times more likely to develop some form of dementia. We also know that Native Americans also are one and a half times more likely to develop Alzheimer's and dementia. So when you have these two ethnic groups, which New Mexico has a very large population of, uh, when you have these two groups that have a higher level of likelihood to develop it, we know that more needs to be done and we need to be even more vigilant of what the disease begins to look like when it shows its you know, first signs and symptoms. So what can we do as, as just general members of the community, right? Yeah, well, what? those numbers, you know, with those populations, even just one to 2%, you know, both of those populations for our state, that's incredibly significant. That's... It, it absolutely is. And then another thing that, that puts us uh, in a place where even more work needs to be done is that much of New Mexico is also very rural. So we know that many of our rural communities, which I grew up in one myself, we know that many folks in rural communities, uh, they are not getting access to those public awareness campaigns as often about what it is, what healthy aging looks like, what early signs and symptoms of Alzheimer's and dementia may look like, right? So not only is there a lack of awareness and, and just overall concern for the disease, um, but then you also bring into factor the ethnic groups, right? The, the Hispanic population and the Native American population. So when you compound those two things, just those two things, which there are many other factors, but just looking at those two things, Ken, um, we can quickly understand why the disease uh, is very prevalent in our state because of those two things that simply, one of them, obviously, we cannot change. But number two is that the rural parts, we need to do more. Uh, to get awareness and concern uh, elevated in those rural and even semi-rural populations. So uh, there's a lot that we can do and there's a lot more that needs to be done at a statewide level. But as individuals, as individuals speaking, you know, you and me as friends here, I would say, just be aware of, of our elders and our family, whether we're at the Thanksgiving dinner or whether we are at a 4th of July barbecue. You know, just be aware, perhaps even have those conversations, you know, with our elders and let them know, you know, hey, these are the signs and symptoms. I just wanted to speak with you about them and maybe share them also with your friends and, uh, you know, the other folks in your family tree. Um, and, a, and a lot of those signs and symptoms can be found um, on our website, alz.org. So, uh, you know, that we're a trusted source, obviously. And so we just want to, you know, point people to that direction if they ever feel they want to know what those signs and symptoms look like. So always, always just be aware. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. The, I, I didn't, I wasn't familiar with those 
uh, those statistics. So thank you for sharing that. And it, it makes me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely like the idea guy. So I can be like, you know, um, a person that, you know, gets a group excited, but I can also be a person that gets a group overwhelmed with too sure. many ideas, you know, for, for things. But you, yeah. you got me thinking about ways that organizations that have, you know, trainings at their disposal that they're able to bring out into the community can really just kind of you know, try and think outside of the box with how you can can target those populations in a creative way so that you can help uh, to offset the, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, dementia related illnesses, uh, you know, there's, it's scary to talk about, you know, um, especially when you start thinking about the statistics and the, the prevalence as we age, uh, you know, the possibility of developing a dementia related illness, but you know, I think that along with, you know, um, along with the information about the symptoms and the effect of these things that can sound scary, knowledge is power, you know, and, and knowing, knowing more about how these things can affect us in advance, how they can affect our families, and then the resources that are available to us if we come upon, you know, this journey. You know, and and we we have to walk this journey. We we're not going to be alone mm -hmm. if we if we know you know you yourself, the association, the other resources that are available to us. Um, I mean, we're kind of lucky because we exist in this world, so we know about all of these things. You know, but it's so common you know to talk to a family and they're not sure where to turn and things yes. are getting complicated and um, they had no idea that this whole network exists for them, you know, to, 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 un, to get information and to uh, learn about techniques with caregiving. And um, so speaking of caregiving and, and the effect of, you know, um, I think that it would be probably amiss for us not to mention the dynamic that's happened over the last year with COVID. Um, you know, a lot of changes have made things uh, more complicated for people who are caring for loved ones with Alzheimer's disease. It's been uh, more scary for a lot of people, but then there's been silver linings too. So like when you think about the last year, I can't believe it's already been a year, but um, when you think about the effect that COVID and the pandemic has had on the association and families living with Alzheimer's, how do you see that? You know, sadly can, folks with Alzheimer's and dementia um, have been affected even more disproportionately. Social isolation is something that really helps energize, energize their spirits, right? When we know that, that people with Alzheimer's dementia, they, they face um, severe degree of memory loss, right? Depending on the stage of dementia that they are in, they face severe degree of memory loss. And so when they are able to, to, have that even if it's just a moment's connection with maybe a child a grandchild a spouse anybody that they are close with that they have a memory with when they are able to, to to have that memory that connection in person it just really does so much profound impact for their spirit now with pandemic we know that social isolation um was was the um was something that we all needed to do to help re to reduce the spread. For people with Alzheimer's dementia, um, 
it wasn't that was so a double edged sword, right? It, 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 it was not so easy for them. Yeah. Because they were they were they were unable to see those those few people that they may have in their life that help, as I said, you know, energize that spirit. And and and, and so we we felt that we needed to do more as an association to help beat back some of those negative effects, mitigate them as best as we could. So we we hosted many, many seminars uh, virtually, of course, with with caregivers and and showing them how they can. Uh, uh, practices they can utilize to stay connected, even if it's virtually. And I know that that's not easily attainable for a lot of folks, right? Technology issues, connection issues, the ability of learning a, a new program. But still, we felt that that we needed to do our part to to show them the the easiest ways out there to try to still maintain that connection. So, unfortunately, people with Alzheimer's dementia were very disproportionately affected by this pandemic, and we're, you know we're very sad by that. But um, a silver lining can is that understanding that 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 social isolation was 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 devastating them just as much as the disease itself? Uh, we were quick to advocate as an as an organization that people of that vulnerable age, 65 and older, need to be among the first to receive the vaccine. Right? Not only does it protect yeah. them physically, but it also creates the opportunity um, sooner or later for them to be able to see those loved ones in person. Right. So we were successful in advocating that those of that vulnerable age group, 65 and older, that they be among the very first to receive the vaccine. So we were very pleased with the, with the governor giving that designation as well. So what would you say is the most rewarding part of your role with the association? Gee, I don't know. Um, that, 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 there's so much, Ken, that, there really is. But I would say this, the most rewarding part of my role is when I get to work with, we call them ambassadors. They are like, they are, I can describe them as they are volunteer leaders, right? There are just volunteers, right? Who show up and, and they help when they can. And, 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 and I love them all to death, all the same. But I have an elevated group of volunteers. These are, these are people who, who we designate as ambassadors. And these folks travel with me every year to Washington, D.C., uh, which we're very excited to see is going to go off as planned next year is, is the intent right now, all, all things considered. Next year, it will be back on. The last two years, it has been called off. Um, this year, it's being virtually, actually, being held virtually. But when I get to take this group with me to Washington, D.C., and we meet with our members of Congress, we meet, uh, you know, we meet with our senators and our state representatives or our representatives who repre represent our state Congress, and we meet and, and we get to just be in the company of other advocates from all over the country. And it comes out to about a group of about 2,500. So when, when I show up Washington, DC, and I've got people from New Mexico and they have made this journey on their own time. Um, oftentimes they, they pay for it, the, the, the entire cost of the trip on their own. Um, and we go there and we just have such a great time representing our state and the 43,000 New Mexicans here who have Alzheimer's or dementia. And we are calling on our, on our leaders at a congressional level to do more. I would say that's probably one of the proudest, um, one of the proudest aspects of my job is getting to, to represent our state in Washington, DC, as we collectively call on our leaders uh, to do more to address the disease. So um, to me, that's a moment I always look forward to and I most definitely am looking forward to it. Uh, to it next year. So thank you for asking that. That's a, that's a good one. That definitely reminds me. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Is there any question that I didn't ask you that I should ask, or or maybe a special message that you would share to people who have, who have watched our conversation? You know, well, well, first, Ken, I want to say thank you for you and all the work that that your you know you guys do at Home Instead. Um, obviously, it's it's a partnership that we've always valued. We continue to value. Um, I look forward to you and I doing this again. I had a great time chatting, and 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 whenever you feel it's appropriate, hey, I'm always happy to come on board and chat with you and let you know what we're up to, Ken. Um, but as far as the parting message, I would just say more help is on the way. More help is on the way. I, I can't promise that more help will come tomorrow or next month, but just know that myself and all of those who I work with in our state, um, our partners at the state government level, our partners in the organizational level, our partners, uh, you know, even our chapters in the other states, more help is on the way. And more and more light begins to shine across that tunnel that we are going to find a cure for Alzheimer's in some form of dementia. Um, we don't know when, but I can tell you that every year we are making progress towards learning more about the disease itself and how we can finally come up with a cure, prevention, or a treatment. So that way it is no longer the fifth leading cause of death in our country. When we come with that cure, prevention, or treatment, that is... That is my, my, my professional path fulfilled. That I can ride into the sunset and feel absolutely great about, about the work here. So that's my parting message is that more help is on the way and remind everybody that, uh, you know, go to alz.org for any resources. There's the 1-800 number there. Any way you want to help any information uh, that, that you may need, if it's not there, give us a call. We can help you find it. So those are my parting words, sir. Thank you so much, Ken. Thank you so much for that hope-filled message, Tommy. I can't think of a better way to, to wrap up our conversation. So I hope you have a great rest of your day. Likewise, I really appreciate you joining me. I had a great time and I look forward to the next time as well. Take care. Thanks, Ken.